Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Testing Peers podcast. Today we're going to be talking around interviews and our experiences. We have quite a few pet peeves. Um, and how are we all doing today? I've been I've been watering grass. We had new turf laid that I've had to keep on top of, and it's been the most boring job in the world. Two hours a day, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, every day. How much grass have you got to water? A lot. Yeah, how does it take an hour? Well, it has to be completely <laughs> soaked, apparently. So it has to be literally drowning in water each morning and evening. So it takes a while with a hose. So. Move it all up north, it'll rain more. <laughs> yeah, potentially. What about you, David? What are you been up to? Not a lot, really. Just continuing with the garden. I've got a bit more landscaping to do. So laying slabs and some hard, other hard landscaping. And hopefully planting some potatoes this weekend. Ooh. What variety? They are Maris Piers, I think. Uh, I've got them, even got them here. Uh, Charlotte and Nicola. Oh, yeah. You're giving them first names as well. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do with that particular variety of potato? I think they are all... Marry them? quite um mixed you can do they're quite waxy apparently but i think you can do most things with and they'll be ready for christmas day stay tuned to testing peers for a potato update from the maynard household (laughs) so russell it's down to you did you get your bike fixed russell i have got my bike fixed i managed to do the near impossible and get two new tires onto a bike I, i hate putting tires on bikes i remember why now so that's done I've done my I've done one of these. What's it called? The tests for COVID, the um, antibody, antibody ones. Antibody yeah. ones came back negative, so I've not had the disease yet. And I played with huskies or puppy huskies, and they're very very vicious. That's what I've learned <laughs> in a playful way. Just guessing on how's a husky. We got a video through of our new puppies today. They're what four weeks old now. We're not getting them for another six weeks, but yeah, it was nice to see them opening their eyes and starting to. Fumble, stumble around a bit. So what have you been up to, Chris? I've painted my arm. <laughs> and some of my wall. I think that colour's hard to see on the podcast. It's uh, emerald. Emerald green as opposed to emerald any other colour. <laughs> Soon my t-shirt will be that colour because I'm not a very good painter. <laughs> What's got on the so, wall? So why, have you, why have you been left to paint then? That's the question. Um, because... Um, that's a job that needed to be done and um i am a relatively semi-obedient husband (laughs) (laughs) cool so getting to the topic today interviews so does anyone have anything that they'd like to start off about it's quite nice um when you're being interviewed when they've got to the end of your cb and picked something out and talked to you about that as well i don't know if you've noticed in situations where you have been interviewed, if sometimes people people clearly haven't really read it before, and I don't know whether that's a, a problem with respect, or they haven't had the time, or they've just they've had it screened and just told you're interviewing this guy, and then you'll just chat through it. But there's something that I feel that I would like to do for people when I interview them, which is to come prepared with their CV and with notes on it already. Because mm-hmm. for me, that feels like they've invested themselves in this in the interview. There's nothing more disheartening than either they haven't got it with them or they clearly haven't read it. 
I've I've been guilty in the past, especially when a recruiter has suddenly said, "Oh, by the way, this person's coming for interview. You've got half an hour until the interview," and I've not got time to review it. That I've been reading it on the way to collecting them from the from from the reception or something like that. But you're right. In an ideal world, I would like to be prepared by having had chance to go through the CV, pick out a few things that I think are relevant and useful to talk about. Maybe a couple of out of the box things that I think would be interesting to understand why they've got that on there or something like that, just to try and help conversation. But my main aim with an interview is to get the conversation flowing and find a way to dig into their passion, whether that be directly related to the role 100%, but enough in there that I can find something from the CV to really dig into that passion and get them talking and find out what motivates them and find out how they work. And if you can get them talking, using the cv as a prop for that is the best way i feel as a way in definitely oh, but it also comes down to the length, the length of the cv as well it's it, and also it's a two-way thing you know that for the cv they will send it in but as soon as they get your name as the person that's interviewing them they will look for you they will search for you on the internet and again they will find things and that that may well include conversations um you know in the interview but you know there have been candidates that we've interviewed and they've said oh yes i read your blog post it was really interesting and picked up things like that and i I think that's another thing and again it's another conversation is you know in actually the first interview or the interviews is making sure you prepare because that goes a long in my mind that goes a long way as to actually doing it and the preparation starts at the beginning writing your cv making sure that you are writing it to that particular job yeah you're right and also just just linking back to that um that point you made about people the the interviewee researching the the interviewer that can cause a bias in the interview then if they come to the interview and say oh, i read your blog on this it was amazing you say oh yeah they read my blog oh i like, I like you <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's then difficult to challenge it's then comes on to be difficult and you, rec- you that's where it's good to have more than one person interviewing because the other person can be the the, the, the other, other the objective voice then um but you know it's it's a good in a way it's a good tick in the box to say you've done some research and if they've naturally come across you through reading blogs or reading or going to conferences and stuff then that's different but if they've actively researched it and because of the interview they found your posts then yeah yeah, it's 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 always a good sign when someone's researched you when you ask them so how much you know about the company and they go nothing you get switched off well, that's that's the other thing, isn't it? Because you're, 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 when you're, you're interviewing for a job, you're also interviewing them. The company, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you, you need, so you need to, so we talked about researching what kind of job we want to do in order that our CV portrays that. But also we need to go for a job that is a job that's going to be what we want. So we need to be prepared for what questions we want to ask. Because you're interviewing people and you ask, have you got any questions for us? It's all well and good with them going, oh, I think you've, you've, you've said everything already. That's quite good. But actually, sometimes if they've got an interesting question about, like, for example, one that I quite enjoyed being asked, but I haven't yet had the gumption to ask myself, is um, you, you, you say you want this sort of role. Why do you think you need this sort of role? And, and, and what about my CV made you think that I could do the job? That's a, that's a ballsy question to ask in, a, in an interview. Quite like it. it is that's kind of throwing it all back right, over all you. right russell mr confident <laughs> throwing it back over the side of the desk isn't it to yeah, you know yeah. put them on their place i liked yeah. it i gave them a job i got offered, i got offered two jobs on the same day once i always get that if you're applying for loads of things they all like you hear nothing for a month 
and then kind of they all come back on the same day. They all want to interview the same day. Do they work together secretly yeah. and organise it? It's really hard though, isn't it? Waiting a really long time to hear back from people. Like, yeah. even, like even if you've applied for a job and they don't want you, that's cool. But can you let me know? Yeah. Do you I know what I mean? Like, I don't mind if they don't let me know. I, I, I had something before I joined Mac, before I joined McAfee. I'd accepted. I'd been down for the graduate recruitment there. I'd done loads of graduate scheme interviews, entries, things. And there was one I really wanted, which was a forensic computer forensics position, working as a junior computer forensics for a forensics company. And they not got back to me. They would not got back to me for ages. And then I went under the graduate scheme thing at McAfee. Literally the day after I got the offer from McAfee, um, they phoned and said, "We finally got through to it. We'd like we'd like to t- take you on." And I was like, "I've just accepted this." <laughs> and then you know you then like, well, "What do I do now?" Because this is the one I really wanted. And obviously I I want to go to the McAfee one. But yeah, it's just they some take forever, and it's usually unfortunately. The, the smaller the smaller companies that seem to, in my experience i'm not saying this is generic but the smaller companies that don't have the org the separate talent and acquisition departments that maybe have one hr person for the whole company or a very small hr team the ones that don't have a talent team or a talent acquisition team take longer to get processing through the, the paperwork to get to the point where they're ready to make an offer we, we were really quick at my last place actually we had one guy that handled it all and honestly, we had an in, we we would we would have a get together after we interview people, and he would as soon as we made a decision, either if we wanted to proceed to another interview or for a job, or not not proceed, he was he was on it. He was so hot on it, and and I I think that shows a level of respect. It does now now if you now if you if you give people you sort of you sort of manage their expectations and say, look, we're still interviewing people to the end of Friday. So we'll let you know by then that's cool as well. Like you yeah. just want to know where you stand. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. You just reminded me of a lovely story. There was a, a, a former colleague, I guess, um, recently tweeted about how important the candidate experience is. Uh, and they were the colleague that I had an interview with internally for a role. And um, the candidate experience I can only describe as terrible. I got kind of told, you know, we're going to talk to you about the next phase. Uh, and then they set a meeting up for months in the future for that. For that, and then in that meeting they went, "We're not going to take you to the next phase." That was their feedback. They were giving me feedback for rejection, but that was a month after they spoke to me about giving me feedback, which in itself was about two weeks after the actual interview. And it's like, shocking. That's not a great candidate experience. And yeah, when no. I saw the um, the person in particular talk about that candidate experience, it made me go, "Yeah." I think there's some lessons to be learned. That's pretty awful. Don't don't do that, companies. Russell's still sad. Russell hasn't forgotten. Yeah, you see, but, but that's that's a thing, right? Because uh, if you get stung by some uh, someone or a company, you don't necessarily want to go back, even if they've moved on a lot. Like I don't want to go with a certain energy provider because it took me twelve months to actually be able to pay my bill with them. And actually, if people tell their story, then actually it it, it puts them off the company as well. So we, we, we talk about, we already talked about how important it is for word of mouth and to get references from people, because from real people as opposed to like Glassdoor or, or sort of other things. So it is, it's quite important that you are professional and you deal with people respectfully and quickly. If you I think can. how you'd want to be dealt one of those things is taking too long to get back to you. Another one is to not actually have like a, 
band or some sort of expected wage, right? How much do you pitch what you're asking for? Do you ask for a wage when they talk to you? Like legitimately, that's a that's a thing that's given me nightmares over in a CV. I don't. Do oh no, gosh, no, I don't put it on a CV. But a job application sometimes it does say salary expectations, and and a job that's advert true. that says competitive salary means nothing to me. I hate that. I have, as yes. in a job, as someone applying for a job role, I generally don't bother. I assume it's pitiful the wage, and therefore not worth talking about. Therefore, so I I had an interesting I had an interesting point with this because. Um, historically when looking for roles because i've i don't know whether it's because i've worked in an industry that's been typically well paid but i've struggled i've always ended up being at the top band or above the top band of roles that i've applied for and actually got some really good advice from a recruiter who was you know let's put your cv through and even though you're above the top band but let's get you FaceTime, and if you prove yourself you'll be the one they really want and then they'll be open to listen to meet your salary demands so, I mean, I'd never had that advice before. I'd always just gone, oh, I can't apply for that role. It's too, it's too low a salary or it's too high salary or whatever it is. I don't fit within the bands. But actually having that advice has made me apply for more roles that look like the lower bands or, or potentially higher bands to try and prove that I can You're worth the value. get that face time and then, then prove myself. You get any imposter syndrome on when it comes to like going for something that's that's higher. Like the first time I went for a job that wasn't games, I didn't know what the band was for the job that I applied for. And so when they asked me, I said, I said, well, what I thought would be a good games wage. And, um, and apparently they had a really strong conversation about they, how they could get away with paying me a lot less money than everyone else, because that is what I had asked for. Because legitimately, like, they, they offered me 50% more than I asked for, because that was their entry level wage that tells you the gulf there was between games and the, the next industry. But I was terrified to ask for that wage. And I've been told since by one of the people that interviewed me that like, you know, you can get taken advantage of people. There are people who are willing to legitimately screw you over because they think they can get away with it. And so thinking about wages, it's really difficult because pitching it industry location, all these things, it's very difficult. And I don't find glass doors very helpful talking to people is more useful yeah absolutely but people don't like talking about what money that they are on. No, i agree absolutely british people no no and uh, you're right because i i went through that when i left when i left mcafee when i'd been there 12 years started as a graduate you know pay rises had been sparse i'd got a relatively decent salary from being there for 12 years i then when i moved jobs you know i i tried to work out feasibly given that now i'm now going from being within walking distance to the office to having to drive an hour every day, I'm going to add a certain amount of percentage onto my salary, et cetera, et cetera. End up sort of going for some, go, saying I want 10 grand more than I was on at the previous role. And when I got in that interview or when I had a discussion about it, they were like, oh yeah, it's fine. Didn't even question it. And I was like, what? Hang on a minute. And then I get in there and I find I'm one of the least paid managers. So <laughs> the, the difference was, was quite vast. But it's 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 value. It's understanding the value of yourself, and it, you you're never going to be able to value yourself other than take what you're currently on. Are you working in the same industry? Are you working in the same area? Yes, you're going to want a little bit extra if you're moving into a, a new role. But be practical. Don't don't ask for too much, and equally, you're going to sell yourself. Yeah, I think if you ask too much, you can get rejected from certain roles. I've certainly rejected people asking for too much that I would have employed them if they wanted twenty percent less than they do, but couldn't justify the wages they were looking for for their skills they had mispriced themselves to me but i also know many people i've recently 
when I hired someone, the last person I hired more or less, they asked for a certain wage and we gave them 25% more than that because that's again, the minimum band, Chris's situation. You've got to be happy with what you ask for. And ultimately that's what you've got to measure it against, not what your yeah. colleagues get or anyone else. Um, it's a dangerous game, that one. Um, and yes, it's absolutely. human. It's a human game. Trust me, I've yeah. done it. Um, but is it more than you're on? Are you happy? Is it going to cover the travel costs? Yes. Is it fair if you, and so on? It is very dangerous comparing other people and how you've got their, their and, experiences. And, and, and to Chris's point, that's where sites like Glassdoor aren't very helpful because they try and give you a suggested wage band for that kind of role in that kind of location. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Finger useful in the air. Yeah, absolutely. But, but actually, again, the salary expectation, you know, based on what they are currently on and what they then expect, if it's vastly inflated, then actually I, I have to question why are they, why do they yeah. value themselves so much more than they're currently on? Um, and so that always is, you know, again, my bias sort of kicks in and goes, hang on, that doesn't really add up. No, I agree. And that is, that is a, that's something where, yeah, absolutely. If, if, if it's so much more than their current salary, unless they'll come out with the, in the interview or in the interview or the pre-interview, the screening, oh, well, I'm underpaid in my current role. Well, actually, you know, we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Like you say, there's, there's a few scenarios where, you know, I had an ex-boss that always said, always try and give them a little bit more for what, than what they asked for because that will really make them feel appreciated when they come in the door. If you just give them the basic, yeah, they've asked for that, I'll give them that. Whereas so, he would always try and give them a grand or two extra just to show that, yes, actually, we've tried to sort of cushion that or make it even sweeter for you. Yeah, I, I'll give you some Yorkshireman advice as well, which is whatever <laughs> they offer you, ask for more. <laughs> <laughs> So if someone says, you know, if you say, oh, you'd be happy with something around 40,000, they offer you 40,000 or 42, go, oh, can I get 43, um, et cetera, et cetera, or 50 or 20. I've or never had that gumption. No, no I not <laughs> Okay, I always have that gumption. <laughs> and do you get away with it? Yes, I've never you? been rejected from it. Yeah. It's right. generally, don't get me wrong, I'm not asking for 5,000 pounds more or 10% more. It's, it's um, one, 2% type thing. But and my, my theory is generally, it's always easier to get, paid what you want at the start yeah. the point in which mm. they've accepted and if you phrase it in a way that you know what can you do yada 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 or give them a reason your pension's not as good as where i am currently or something even if it's half fake it's true but doesn't really make much difference because it, salary changes are going on anyway then generally you give them wiggle room to say yes or no and if they want you they're not really going to put off um, two thousand pounds or thousand pounds for you and they've gone through the process of recruiting you, unless there's somebody else, and that thousand pound makes a big bit of difference for big companies. It doesn't for smaller companies. It might, but um, I don't. I don't think if you're going to ask for a pay rise um, or more money, doing it before you're through the front door is probably the best time. Doing it six months in, you're not going to get a yes answer generally. So do it on day one, not day two. So how do you deal with silence? Chris does not deal well with silence. Nor do I. I feel it usually. How do you cope with, um, with interviews then? Because I've got a lot better at silence. Because obviously during interviews, especially telephone interviews, you have to ask a question and then 
just wait for them to digest it and then give an answer and I, I did find initially that you try and add supplementary things to interrupt their their thought processes but actually I realize now actually just being silent and letting them think about it is is vitally important so how do you cope with that if you don't particularly like silence well I've managed to avoid telephone interviews for the last two years as in giving them conducting them been the receiving end um, which I think has helped dramatically in that solution um, before then you got used to it you did interrupt and fill but there feels like there's a time and a place and like interviews are one of those times and places it's not hard to associate being quiet if that makes sense um, yeah. I still have a tendency to want to give nudges and things like that, but I kind of can pause for longer gaps, shall we say. How about you, Chris? Um, it's, I, was, I used to be really bad at it, you might be surprised. Um, but in the same way as the, the one-to-one thing, you've got to give space. And, and, and part of it is to stop what answer I want to hear in my head or what answer I would give to the question, just just take that and then kick it as far ahead as I can, because I want to actually give my attention to those people. And so, it's it's hard for me, which won't surprise you, um, but it's it's I think it's quite unprofessional in that sort of setting to either ask a question with an agenda or ask a question that I would really enjoy answering myself, because actually I just want to get to know the people um that's the primary concern with interviewing people and if I'm talking the only thing I'm going to learn is how patient they are <laughs> which might be a vital uh, thing for <laughs> work with yeah and I, 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 interviewed, I interviewed someone interviewed someone who um I knew really quickly that they weren't going to take any um bs from me um and they were going to question stuff and I loved that Mm. It was like one of the most exciting things ever because it was like, this is actually someone that's going to challenge me um, and not just do as I tell them. And they're going to question it. And they actually more than happy to tell me to shut up. And they did because we hired them and they were great. But I think that's a good point though with interviews going on a slight tangent is you don't just want to listen. You've got, you want to make them feel part of it, which means a conversation. If you can make it a conversation, it's great. You don't want to, do a 20 minute monologue or vice versa. Yeah. And, it's yeah, trying I, to yeah. and that's always more difficult when it's a panel interview, when there's, when there's more than one of you interviewing them um, because they're naturally in that position of feeling got at grilled already, even before they've walked in the room. Um, and it takes quite a lot to, to make them feel at ease. But yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a challenge. I know worse situations, which is where you have certainly in my old place, different departments completely different cultures two different people joined together to do an interview um and they're looking for two different things so when they're yeah. at someone asking so what are we working on you've got two different answers uh, when someone says what it, it draws a line so you've got this candidate who wants to try and piece two different people yeah. and you, it's um it's, i feel for those candidates and, yeah i mean i mean the only thing i've done that's worse than something like that is when i was growing up I was I went to be an RF officer and I had the RF officer interview and in the RF officer interview you have three officers sat in the room 
or with their clipboards. One of them is constantly checking you to see how often you, you look away from the, the interviewer. So they'll mark you down every time you look away from the, the face of the interviewer. Every time you look at the clock, every time they're watching everything, every time you move, um, if you talk off topic, they're, 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 they're checking you for everything. Um, and now I think how bizarre that kind of world would have been to go into. Um, because certainly in, in our industry now, it's all about, as you say, making interviews more inclusive, making them ex- feel welcomed and supported and, and everything else. But yeah, it's very alienating interviews where you're being constantly monitored for stuff. They're doing Oxbridge University interviews as well, isn't it? They normally have something to throw you off just to yeah. see how you react to those sorts of yeah. things. For those of you who don't know what Patreon is, we didn't really know what it was until that recently, apart from something that we heard sort of YouTube creators and podcasters that they were using their advertising for ways of generating interest and um, hopefully raising some funds to be able to keep their content going. And so the testing peers decided that we would start one. I think Russell has actually got the tiers for you. So if you are interested and what you could get involved in, Russell's going to give us the lowdown. Yeah, so you can help support us by giving you just a pound a month, the minimum, which will give you a shout-out. You can go up to £5 a month, where we'll give you a shout-out, and we'll give you kind of an idea of the topics we're going to talk about each month and a vote on those topics. You can potentially advertise with us, which we've started off at £100 per month, or my favourite one of all, which is you can make us get set for life, which you can pay us £10,099 per month, to stop podcasting at all, to get rid of us. So, you know, pay us off. Feel free. Was that a bit of boundary testing by any chance? It was, yes. It wouldn't allow 9,999, but it would allow 10,099 pence. Nice bug. Um, so I believe, I believe we've already got some shout-outs to do. We have. Simon, we've got Simon. three. Three very enthusiastic people that have already signed up to become our regular patrons. So I have to say thank you to Kaylin Mose, to Beth Marshall, and to Amy Corcoran for your input so far. Um, for those of you who have joined the £5 tier, we'll be reaching out to you shortly with the latest vote for the next series of episodes. So again, thank you so much for your help. That has now covered the cost of our hosting of our podcast on a monthly basis. So we can't thank you enough because Chris was very worried that while we stayed on the three tier of our hosting software, that we were going to lose our first podcast. So, no one wants to lose the top podcast. That's, that's the one with the most <laughs> hits. Exactly, exactly. So thank you again. Next time, if we have any more, we'll shout out the new ones. But again, we really appreciate all your support. David, could you tell us, please, where to find our Patreon? It's patreon.com slash testingpeers. Smooth. We are pro advertisers. Shout out for anyone that wants to sponsor us. Clearly, we've got it down. <laughs> And also, if you've got any suggested ideas for other tiers, that would also be something worth letting us know about because we'd love to have more tiers where people can give more money. So, good. We want more ideas and fun content and things as well. It's exactly. more money. Exactly. Well, that as well. <laughs> we're not in it for the money. We're not. We, 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 we would like to improve David's internet, though, to be fair. <laughs> it's working now. I'm so glad I can say that now. <laughs> Yes, it's slightly ironic coming from you. 
Thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Testing Peers podcast on interviews. If you have any interesting interview stories, either good or bad, then please do get in touch with us either on email at contactus at testingpeers.com or on Twitter at testingpeers. If you have any other feedback or ideas for future episodes, then please do let us know. And we look forward to welcoming you back in a couple of weeks for another episode. Thank you. For now, it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. Goodbye.